As we've mentioned previously already today, it is a precious privilege and a tremendous joy that we each have this morning. As was mentioned in our prayer and as in many of our thoughts today, the thankfulness that's ours in terms of what happened yesterday to some and not too far from here, and to appreciate that those difficulties and circumstances have at least skirted you and me to this point today and that we are able to meet in peacefulness and to meet in a time such as this one. As you may have noted, certainly, over the last number of Sundays, we were involved in a series of lessons discussing some of the issues relating to premillennialism. And yet today, as we move forward past that particular series of lessons, but also in light of Brother Stevenson's visit with us next week for our gospel meeting, which is a time of encouragement, edification, and excitement, I thought that this would be an appropriate time to at least allow each of us to encourage us to reflect on the privileges of service by way of the gospel. It is truly a word that we use from time to time, that word privilege, but it seems so appropriate in light of so many things we continue to discuss in the Bible to think about truly how blessed we are. And so that will be the topic and theme of our lesson this morning. Some introductory thoughts pointing us on that particular way in fact relate directly to that gospel meeting that starts a mere seven days from today. In fact, that gospel meeting, under the oversight of our elders and with the participation of all of us, will set forth some powerfully and wonderfully amazing themes and topics. To those who are Christians, it's going to be a time of spiritual livelihood, a time of spiritual encouragement, where all of us will be able as Christians to be drawn closer to God, closer to His Son, closer to a deeper understanding of the Scriptures, and closer to each other. We may well have visitors from sister congregations and we'll have opportunity, of course, to fellowship with them. However, that powerful note of edification is not to be taken lightly. For Paul commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. In addition to that, though to those that are not Christians, to those that are not yet washed in the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 14, to those who have been but have strayed away from the faithful and true path that leads to everlasting life, Brother Stevenson will no doubt share some penetrating, powerful, and direct messages that will cause them to think seriously and urgently about their circumstances. And hence, a part of that gospel meeting will involve warning. Warning to those that are not Christians, to those that are unfaithful, and in fact, in a way, warning to all of us as to what would happen if we were to lose sight of the blessed reward that's beyond. In light of those kinds of thoughts today, as we give some thought then to this matter of the gospel meeting starting again next week, might we ask and remind ourselves about the privilege of gospel service? As we look to that meeting, what should be our reaction to it and our approach to it? As I begin that series of lessons or that lesson this morning, these thoughts seem to be those that we should consider first. We'll look briefly at some four ideas, four matters that I think will be challenging to each of us as we reflect on what this gospel meeting is all about. As we just noted, it's not merely a social activity. We're not having one just because the congregations nearby have had one or will have one. The reasoning goes far deeper than that. It is a time that has eternity hanging really in the balance. What can be accomplished for the good of God next week here? How can you and I be stronger in the faith as a result of it? And how can others be brought to appreciate what you and I enjoy? 
first of all today, what about the brightness of the gospel? Brightness. We often are reminded so lovingly about how special the term brightness really is. In fact, to give you some thought about what that involves for our lesson this morning, you and I live in a world that is so clouded in darkness. In fact, the world gropes in darkness and at times not only gropes in it, but seems to thrive therein. But yet you and I, as we're going to see in some thoughts presented here shortly, have such a distinction to darkness. In fact, some lessons to be noted there from our reading that Brother Cale read for us earlier. Did you note how often in 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 6, the following statement is made? For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Two usages of the word light, one usage of the word shine, all in one verse. Doesn't it remind us about how the Lord taught that those that would be his followers are like a city set on a hill and like a light that's not to be covered with a bushel, but is to give light to all that are in the house. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. It is thus to be remarked that you and I have in possession and that you and I have access to the greatest light that the world has ever known. A light that's able to lead people out of darkness to lead people out of unhappiness and sin and difficulties and the things that cloud their way into an appreciation of the blessed light, not only here, but that will give him a, them a realistic hope for an eternity of light hereafter. You and I have that. The world doesn't offer it. And when you and I give thought to that nature of light, consider how often the New Testament makes reference to the light. We've just read one verse. In John 1, verse number 5, the inspired apostle in writing and referring to Christ, the Son of God, spoke of the fact that He is the true light. The light shineth in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. The Lord came to, in fact, explode light all around us, and the world still, 2,000 years later, on so many ways, chooses to live in darkness. Next week in this gospel meeting, we have a, an opportunity and a privilege of presenting light, real light to the Pippin community, to those who would come and be with us, to our advertisements, be they in the Herald Citizen or by way of radio, an opportunity to shine forth a beacon of brightness. And we look forward to being able to do that. This brightness is also highlighted in the Lord's statement in John eight twelve. In one of his famous I am statements, didn't Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You and I have the light. It is the words of the Christ, the message and the gospel of him. And as we present it, set it forth, proclaim it in its pristine beauty and power, we can pray that others will come to realize and respond in faith because it is a message of brightness. So often as we look about us in the world, and I know you are just as Denise and Brooklyn and I and Deanna and Christy, you listen to the news, so often it's so negative, it's so discouraging, it's so disappointing, it at times virtually breaks your heart to hear what laws are passed, what things are done, what people have the guts to actually do, and they know it's wrong, surely they do. And yet you and I can hold forth the blessed light of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
that good news contained in that gospel takes us back to verse 4 of our reading. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Isn't that beautiful language? Again, it notes the light of the glorious gospel. Perhaps many are not of the mindset to look upon a book as being light, but it is. You and I have just seen it called light of the glorious gospel of Christ. This is the only light that can brighten this sin-sick world and lead it, every one of the individuals in it, into a way that's far richer, better, more pleasing and happy. It's found all right here, the brightness of the gospel and the joy that's associated therewith. As you'll notice near the bottom of that slide, it is thus next week an opportunity and a rich one indeed that we have here at Pippin. And I know Brother Stevenson will certainly take his opportunity in a very rich way as well to proclaim the goodness of the gospel and to set its brightness forth to all that are here. In Romans 10 verse 15, Paul wrote, Blessed are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and that bring glad tidings to all. The feet of them that proclaim the gospel. That doesn't necessarily need only to be an individual like myself standing before you now. But yet next week is an opportunity for us to invite, to encourage others to come, to help them see the specialness of what shall be set forth here, the brightness of the gospel. As we give some thought to that, the opening lesson of today, may we implant in our thoughts and our lives how bright this gospel is and cherish the opportunity next week by the blessing of God to present it. But also, secondly, in addition to that brightness, another thing I would submit that you and I have and that will be set forth next week and that the world so desperately needs is joy. I just mentioned a moment ago, and I'm sure again my family is not the lone exception to that, how that so many of us see such negativity such disappointment, and at times we almost can't believe that people would act that way. And we can't believe that folks would be so far removed from the truth of God to actually think that that way of life is reasonable, right, wholesome, when all along this book condemns it to an eternity in hell. And yet in the world about us, might I suggest we have joy. Not just superficial joy, not just fake joy, but real joy. And that's what's one of the things that will be shared here next week, the joy of the gospel. What might be some passages that you and I could help to share with others about the joy that's associated with it? I've listed a few that ask you to consider a few following things. Most would be likely to say that there seem to be very few real entities in this world that provide even the slightest semblance of joy. Because isn't it true that sin can tarnish and mar? And even what could in its basic essence and intrinsic nature be wholesome and good, man, by way of his corruption, can turn it into what's evil and bad and wrong. In fact, even Noah fell into that, didn't he, in Genesis 9. As they came forth from that ark, and as this new freshly washed world was now before them, we notice it was a world that was known for its righteousness at that point because the corruption and error had been slain and put to death. 
But yet it wasn't long before Noah took those crops and other things that were naturally made by the opportunity of God's nature and he made alcoholic beverage out of it and he got drunk. You see, humankind can take what naturally is provided by God for us and twist it into a way and turn it into something that's not good at all. Might we notice as we think about the matter of joy that man in his sin seems to wipe out so much of the joy that God would wish us to know and that he would wish us to appreciate. There have been many a preacher and many an individual who is quick to say God doesn't want you to be unhappy. And that's a true statement because he sent his son that you might in fact live a degree of appreciation of joy here and look forward to joy forevermore. But that doesn't mean that there aren't chance circumstances and hardships, but you and I have a way to emerge from them victorious with joy. What does the world have to get through it? They have nothing. They have no higher meaning and destiny that gives them meaning to that catastrophe or that crisis. They have no anchor to hold on to that will pull them through it in a way that they can emerge stronger than they were before. But you and I do. In the gospel, we have genuine joy that is not tempered by the circumstances of this earth. Our joy runs much deeper than that. In terms of some passages that speak to that joy, in 2 Timothy 1, in the closing part of that verse, as Paul wrote to Timothy, he made note of what Christ has brought. Namely, the Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality. The world offers neither one. There are doctors that will bring a baby into the world and they're trained to be able to do that, but in terms of that physical life before them, you and I have access to something that teaches about the spirit of that baby. Not just its physical body, its soul, its spirit, and the character of what its life ought to be in order to enjoy an eternity with, with its God. Those thoughts are joyful indeed to appreciate the blessing that you and I now have. As you think about the nature of that joy, it's interesting that the word gospel really means good news. That six-letter word, G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel, the literal meaning in Greek is good news or glad tidings. You and I have some good news, and doesn't the world need it? Doesn't humanity, in fact, crave for some good news? Every four years, we put a man in office in the White House based on some promises he's going to bring a little good news. And almost every time, he fails. And we put folks in office and senators and congressmen because they promise some good news. They almost never deliver. We have some good news, friends, and it's been here 2,000 years. It's worked every year since. How many precious souls have left this life based upon the truth found in it because of those rewards and promises that have been vouchsafed to them, they have placed their trust in the precious message of the truth. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, Paul on that occasion wrote, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I believed. And furthermore, as he made that statement about himself, he encourages all of us to commit ourselves to that same one in whom he had believed. Next week, that message will be proclaimed here. The joy that's associated with the character and loveliness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Is it any wonder then on the occasion of the Lord's birth in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, those messengers thereby made this statement, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior was born that day. And the good news that is based upon his life and his death and the gospel that's based on him is better news than this world can have any other way. Next week, that will be proclaimed here at Pippin. And we're excited, of course, about the opportunity to do so. And we hope many will come and be a part and listen and learn and be uplifted by the messages that are brought. Some of those messages will be shared in song. Brother Stevenson will do his part, but you and I need to be committed to be here so that we can, in fact, sing praises to God and encourage others that are with us as we invite people from this community. Hopefully some will come, and then we also would trust that they'll be strongly reminded about the urgency of their separation from God. Perhaps one or more will respond publicly to the call of the invitation. All of that helps us see that next week is a very rich privilege for us at Pippin. These two ideas so far today, on the one hand, the joy, and on the other hand, the matters associated with all of the privileges of the brightness of the gospel, bring us to perhaps a third blessing. I'm sure we each have already been reminded of this one in some of what we've sung about today and some of the comments made in the lesson to this point. But what about the very nature of salvation? In fact, how often does the Bible use the word lost? And when you and I think of the usage of that word, we perhaps think about a young child or some other animal maybe that is lost. Well, here the Bible describes people as lost. Not that they can't find their way to their physical home, but because they can't find their way to their spiritual home in the place they currently are. They are undone and without. They are in a position that is not good in terms of their eternal welfare. You and I have in our possession this precious gospel that offers salvation. As you can see in some of the things contained there, we have the exclusive presentation of the way of salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then notice verse 18 of that same chapter. For the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men will experience that unrighteousness from the hand of God. You and I have in these exclusive messages of the gospel what can save the souls of those who obey. That matter of salvation is a penetrating truth. It's sad that the world thinks so little about salvation. It seems so content with the here and the now. I just need a roof on my head, my belly to be full, clothes on my back, and I'm fine. You're not fine. In fact, you're woefully undone. To that church in Laodicea, Christ himself said, You think that all is well. You think you have need of nothing. Revelation 3, 14 to 16. But he said, let me tell you, you're miserable, you're poor, you're wretched, you're blind, and you're naked. You think you're clothed, but you're not. You think you're satisfied, but you're not. You think that your needs are met, but you are undone. And in the two verses later, he said, repent and do the first works. 
there was something much, much stronger and richer that they hadn't attended to. Laodicea, you think you've got it all, but yet you've got nothing. And that reminds us today, you and I may have everything, and so too may another person in the world, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You are completely without in all ways that really matter. We next week will have the opportunity to present that message. The salvation available in the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 17 and 18, we find the inspired apostle saying, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Paul was by no means reducing the importance of baptism. In fact, that's a necessary accompaniment to the proclamation of the gospel. But he noted, did he not, in verse 18, the preaching of the cross, who to so many is that which is foolishness, really is God's inspired power to save. And as we proclaim that next week here at Pippin, it's a privilege and it's a joy that's ours. As you give some additional thought about the good news then that associates to this salvation, you'll note near the bottom of that slide that Paul even on one occasion wrote to the Ephesians, the gospel of your salvation. No gospel, no salvation. It is the gospel of our salvation, Ephesians 1.13. So much so that we would be remiss not to thank God for the opportunity next week to preach and proclaim this and to encourage others to come to know it and to set it forth in the powerful way that God has done. In Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, a haunting duel of questions is presented. Those questions uttered by Jesus read like this, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Next week is not going to primarily be a social activity. There's a lot of that. You can go up here to Cane Creek, probably ball games will go on every night next week. There are other places for things like that. Our meeting is not going to be primarily a social activity. It's not going to be primarily an entertainment activity. It's not going to be primarily something to prey upon the guilt of individuals, though it will be powerfully meaningful to those of us present because the gospel and its power will be set forth. And those who love the truth will find an enriching experience. As you and I give thought then to that message, perhaps one soul is going to respond. Maybe some individual is going to recognize what has been set before them and they'll respond. As we give thought to that possibility, isn't it a lovely thing to think about all of us being encouraged and the opportunity that others will have the blessedness of responding? Near the bottom of that slide, one final thing that is a very sobering reflection to all of us. In verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul put it in language like this. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Are you and I hiding the gospel? Are we so conducting ourselves or behaving ourselves that really we're hiding it? Others do not see it in us? Because if we're hiding it, Paul says we're hiding it to those that are lost. They, by our example and by the things that we're able to teach and present to them, might well be the very instrument that God can use to help them come to salvation. Are you and I hiding the gospel? I'd like to use that thought perhaps as the closing part of our lesson this morning. Hiding the gospel 
If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, we are entrusted with the gospel. Everyone within the sound of my voice that are Christians, we are entrusted with the gospel. That means God has in essence placed it within the confines of you and me to employ it to assist and evangelize with respect to others. We've been entrusted with it. How are we doing with that entrustment? Are we using it unwisely? Are we neglecting it? Are we ignoring it? Or rather, have we been good stewards of that trustworthiness? Have we put it to practice and use even as this gospel meeting approaches to help set forth to others the brightness and the joy and the salvation of the gospel? These thoughts perhaps would remind us of the duty that associates to that trustworthiness. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul considered himself in a woeful condition if he were not dutiful enough to proclaim the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Christ Jesus, Ephesians 3.8. What about you and I as this meeting approaches? Have we prayed about it? Have you and I devoted some time in prayer to pray for the success of this meeting, for Brother Stevenson's preparation, for you and me in terms of our support of it? Have we already cleared our calendars, if at all possible, to ensure that we will be here? Have you been to congregations in which they had a gospel meeting and maybe 25% of their own number was there? It gives one a feeling that they really weren't that serious about the meeting to start with, doesn't it? And I certainly understand. Things can happen. Maybe they couldn't be there. But when two out of the three nights it was that way, one can't help but wonder. May that not be descriptive of us at Pippin. May we intend and determine and commit ourselves to be here. For this meeting is for our benefit too. It is our gospel meeting. It's for the purpose of reviving us spiritually, allowing us to reach higher heights of devoted service to the Father, and it really does have eternal import. If 80% of those present are visitors, it certainly says a lot about the commitment you and I have made to support our own meeting. Certainly we look forward to those visitors and we long and trust that there will be some present. As you note some of the other facts upon that slide, hiding the gospel. There's a song in our book, the words of which it seems so fitting at this point. I'd like to read them if I might. It's song 405 in the book if you'd like to read along too. The title of that song is Into Our Hands, and the words read like this. Swiftly we're turning life's daily pages. Swiftly the hours are changing to years. How are we using God's golden moments? Shall we reap glory? Shall we reap tears? The second stanza. Millions are groping without the gospel. Quickly they'll reach eternity's night. Shall we sit idly as they rush onward? Haste, let us hold up Christ the true light. Third stanza. Souls that are precious, souls that are dying, while we rejoice our sins are forgiven. Did he not also die for these lost ones? Then let us point the way into heaven. Into our hands the gospel is given. Into our hands is given the light. Haste, let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the right. Next week, our gospel meeting has behind it all of those lovely sentiments and thoughts of that song. 
Swiftly we're turning life's daily pages. Swiftly the hours are changing to years. How are we using God's golden moments? Shall we reap glory? Shall we reap tears? You and I now will, in fact, etch the answer to some of those questions. As we prepare for this meeting, those questions at the bottom may challenge each of us again in ways we've mentioned already and may help us this week to be more earnest in prayer for the meeting. It still is true that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16. If we pray earnestly for this meeting, God may well bring by His providential way souls to us that will have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond. In addition, what about the opportunities we've used to invite others? Have we done that? Have we made opportunities, availability to in fact express our desire to have some come to be with us? As we think about all of those things, whether it be the joy, whether it be the brightness, whether it be the salvation, or whether it be the glorious light of these last thoughts we've shared today, if you this morning would be in a position of not being right with your Maker, with the God of heaven, I hope that you will seriously in just a few moments as we stand to sing, allow yourself to respond. Don't let Satan have another moment of your life. In fact, turn it over to Christ. He said to those who are outside his precious body, you need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess his name in the hearing of others and be baptized. If we could assist you in that today, it would be our honor. It would in fact bring great joy even to the angels in heaven, Luke, 1 verse, or Luke 15 verse 7. If you have become a Christian but no longer are faithful and true, and you know that there's something missing, you're missing the joy and you're missing the brightness that we've discussed today, you now know what it is that's missing. Come back to that. Come back to that gospel and allow Christ to make your life be what he wants it to be. If we could assist today by prayer on, that, on your behalf that way, will you not let us know in what way we can help while together we stand and while we sing?